All right, here we are again. This is our fifth week in this series on winning the war in your mind. I hope that it's been a help to you. And I think uh, what we're going to look at this evening has an opportunity to be a, a, a special help to something we've not yet addressed. And I think it's, it's going to really be encouraging if you take it and put feet to it. Not just listen to it. You know, I know these sessions can be really interesting. These sermons can be very uh, thought-provoking. As I was going through the book that we are basing a lot of this material off of, I was, I was really, you know, my thoughts were provoked by it. It was really interesting stuff. But our goal in, in teaching this material is not that you would just say, wow, that was an interesting sermon, or I learned something. We really want you to put feet to this and internalize it, take it into your life, and, and think differently as a result of being exposed to these biblical principles that we are introducing. So listen with that object in mind tonight, not just to be informed, but to be transformed by what we hear from God's Word. So we're continuing our series, Winning the War in Your Mind, and tonight, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to restore a godly perspective. Restoring godly perspective. If you don't know what I mean by that, you will soon enough. God created all of us with a complex system of nerves known as the retina. When light enters our eye, it, our retina is designed so that it will catch that, that it will focus perfectly on the retina, and the better it focus, the better that the light is focused on your retina, the better vision you will have. If you have 20-20 vision, um, one of the ways to explain that is, is to say that the retina is doing its job, and that it's not being blocked or obstructed. If you have blurry vision, then it's probably because uh, the light isn't focusing on your retina. So this is why people use prescription eyewear, right? I'm supposed to say something about squints and I get a $50 off coupon at this point, is that right? <laughs> Sweet. Squints will have all your prescription eyewear needs. I'll be waiting on that coupon. So this is why people wear glasses or contact lenses. Corrective lenses, what they do, in, in, besides looking stylish, is they, they bend the light coming into your eyes so it focuses properly on the retina. It's just a fancy way of saying you can see properly. Now, I've never had glasses, but when I was a kid, I remember trying on my parents' glasses. Both of my parents had very uh, strong prescriptions. Uh, it was in both of their families. My grandpa on my mom's side actually had glasses since he was two, okay? And uh, when I would put on my, my mom's glasses or my dad's glasses, it would actually make everything look a lot worse, you know? I, 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 did anybody else do that when you were a kid? And uh, it would skew things and uh, blur things. Now, they're meant to correct, but if you, if you have a, you know, a bad prescription or somebody else's prescription, it could actually make your sight a lot worse when you put on a pair of glasses. That's, it, it, you, can, you learn something from that. If you have lenses that don't help you, your vision will be blurred. 
If you have defective lenses or maybe lenses that don't match your prescription, your vision will not improve. It will get a lot worse, won't it? And you know, the same is true with the perspective that we have in life. Not all of us have physical lenses. Not all of us um, wear contacts or prescription eyeglasses, but each and every one of us have our own lens through which we see the world. When you woke up this morning, you thought about your day in a particular way based on the lens that you've been wearing, maybe unconsciously, for a long time. Each of us has a lens. We all have a perspective. And just like your parents' glasses that may have skewed things, it's possible for us to have defective or distorted lenses. We, we can look at reality, but be seeing it, we can see reality through a lens that messes up what we see. Now, social psychologists have a name for this. It's called cognitive bias. That's what you came to church to learn about tonight, right? Cognitive bias. That's a $3 word. Here's, here's what it means. It's a consistent pattern of deviating from reality in how we see and process things. It's a consistent pattern of deviating from reality in how we see and process things. If you have a cognitive bias, then you have a construction of reality that will affect how you see reality. There, there was a, 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 famous, a, a famous pastor who went to this uh, big conference, and he was wrongly introduced in the program as a comedian. He gets up there and starts his introduction. He's talking about, uh, it was a very transparent sermon he was having about his own life of sin. So he got up and started talking about how he was a sinner, and people just started laughing. Then he, he said, no, I'm serious. I'm worse than you think. It isn't funny. And they started laughing harder. His name's John Piper, if you've ever heard him preach, he's a very like serious, very high-strung preacher. But because they read in the program he was a comedian, they came ready to laugh, and the whole thing was a mess. If you have a cognitive bias and it's distorted, you are going to look at something wrongly, and you're going to essentially find whatever it is you're looking for. Here's an example. You know, you attend a party, and on your way, your friend tells you, I, I just want you to know, no one at this party likes you. They all think you are a jerk. And then you walk in. The, the first people you pass, they don't say hi to you. And you think to yourself, well, they didn't acknowledge me because they think I'm a jerk. You see someone laughing in the corner, and you, you think to yourself, I know who they're laughing about. They're laughing about me because they think I'm a jerk. People, you're going to assume that people are avoiding you, that people are, are dissing you. You leave the party, your friend tells you, by the way, I made that up. Everyone there really likes you. Well, why did you have such a bad experience if they all liked you? Because you found what you were looking for, didn't you? You went into the party thinking, everyone thinks I'm a jerk, and that's exactly what you got out of the party. The feeling that you went in with. We, you could have a boss that gives negative feedback to two employees. They both make a big mistake, maybe the same mistake. They're both involved in the same project, 
The boss both kind of gives them a dressing down and tells them what they did wrong. One employee goes away saying, wow, I learned something from that. This is going to help me in the future. Now I better understand what my boss's expectations are. This is good. This means job security because I understand how to communicate with my boss. The other employee says, man, I can't believe he would talk to me like that. How dare he? They got the same talk, but they came out of it with two different ways because they had two different lenses. Now, this is relatively easy to see in others, even from our humorous examples. It's easy to see how this can happen in others. It's harder to see it in our own life. It's hard to look at your lenses because you've been looking through them so long. So you say, okay, David, this is obviously an interesting concept, but what does this have to do with us as Christians? I mean, what does this have to do with my spiritual life, with my walk with the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're not here for a lecture on psychology. This isn't a TED Talk. We're here for food for the soul. We're here to see how we can align our lives with God's word when it comes to this subject of the mind. So let me tell you this in the, at, the, at the outset. Um, this idea of cognitive biases or our perspective is not just an interesting concept. This is something that radically affects your walk with God today. It's been affecting it for a long time, whether you realize that or not. And it's going to affect it this week and for the rest of the month and for the rest of the year. Your perspective matters in your spiritual life. If you have a a false construction of of reality, if you have a defective lens, if you have a bad perspective, it's not just that it'll be off or that you'll be wrong about some things. It could damage your relationship with God in serious ways. So here's what I'm saying. Your, Your cognitive biases are not just psychological. They are godly or, in many cases, ungodly. We, we need to be able to restore godly perspective because, believe it or not, we can have ungodly perspectives. We can have a wrong way of looking at the world that doesn't line up with how God wants us to see things. So go to Proverbs 9, just for one example. There are actually all kinds of examples we could probably pull from Scripture, but this is a, 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 a short, succinct one. Proverbs 9. Is there anything more different than hatred and love? Those are kind of polar opposites, aren't they? Well, listen to what Solomon says about this. Solomon says, reprove not a scorner. Proverbs chapter 9, I'm sorry, verse 8, if I didn't say, verses 8 and 9. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. You can tell two people the same thing. You give them a rebuke. And Solomon says, the person with one kind of lens, the foolish, the scorner, the scorner's lens, he will hear that, and because of how he will filter that, because of how he will perceive that, he'll respond to you in hatred. You tell him him rebuke, he'll hate your guts. You tell the wise man the same thing, and because of how he filters it, because of his lens, because of his perspective, he'll give you love. 
You tell two people the same thing, Solomon. Are, are you saying that one of them will hate you and one of them will love you? Right, because a scorner and a wise man have two very different outlooks on life. Why is the wise man's lens so much different? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The wise man's lens is different. The wise man responds to rebuke differently because he fears the Lord. And by the way, there are some really big implications when you live a life of fearing the Lord. And it's not just that you're wise. For one, you'll recognize your own need for humility. If you live in the fear of the Lord, you'll recognize that, that you're a sinner that messes up, that, that other people may know you better than you know yourself because you'll be so aware of your own flaws. If you live in the fear of the Lord, you'll be hungry for, for constructive rebuke because you will know, as a person who lives in the fear of the Lord, you have a long way to go to grow into godliness. But a scorner doesn't see things that way, does he? Or she? A scorner looks at things very differently because of the lack of the fear of the Lord. Do you see how Proverbs 9 touches on this issue of perspective? Our lenses are not spiritually neutral. There is an ungodly perspective that's displayed here and a godly perspective. Thus, if we're going to win the war in our mind, we need to be aware of this matter of perspective, how we see things. We need God's help, in other words, to correct our cognitive biases. Now, really, to restore godly perspective, we need to do two things. There's two areas that we have to work in, and here's what they are, okay? We need to reframe our past, and then we need to pre-frame our future, all right? Uh, Restoring godly perspective involves reframing our past, and I'll explain what that means, and then pre-framing our future. We need to think about how we think about things. We need to think about our perspective, where we've been, and also where we are going. So first, we restore godly perspective by reframing our past. Now, it'd be really great if we could change our past, wouldn't it? My favorite show as a kid, it was already outdated when I was a kid, but my favorite show as a kid was Quantum Leap. How many remember Quantum Leap? Scott Bakula? Okay. Um, the, uh, essentially, his character, who I think is named Sam, goes in the past into these different people's lives and makes different decisions so that the outcome of their life is changed. And, and as a kid, I loved that show because I thought it was, this idea was so powerful, how different uh, the world would be, how different reality would be if you could send someone back as your former self, if you could send, you know, like Scott Bakula into an early David Harris and do things just a little bit differently. It, it just, it, it enthralled me, that idea. But one of the reasons that Quantum Leap was sci-fi is because you can't do that. <laughs> We can't change our past, and we can't control our past, can we? The truth is we can't go back and, and do that, but even though we cannot control what has happened to us, as believers in Jesus, we can control how we think about 
what has happened to us. We can control how we see it. And the technical term for this is, here's another big word, cognitive reframing. Not cognitive bias, but cognitive reframing. Cognitive reframing, which is doable, and people actually do this all the time, it means taking control of how we perceive things. Recognizing the problem, recognizing where our faulty lens is, and thinking differently about it. So our frame then is how we view things. Your frame is how you view your past. Reframing means we decide we're not going to hang on to those old perceptions that have hurt us. Those old ways of thinking that have damaged us and those around us who've known us. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul. Paul had a strategic plan for advancing the gospel in the world. His plan was this. He was going to go to Rome. He was going to go to Rome and share the gospel. He was going to preach Jesus to the leaders there. And he thought, well, if I do this, if, man, if this is, this is this vision that I feel like God has given me, if I can do this in Rome, that city could become a launch pad to spread the gospel all over the world. God answered his prayer, kind of. <laughs> when Paul got to Rome, it wasn't because he was invited by government officials. It was because he went there as a prisoner and he was under house arrest, pending possible execution. So Paul, Paul writes to the, to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1. Now, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he explains how he's thinking about the things that have happened to him. Now, hold on. Paul cannot change what's happened to him, okay? But Paul does decide how to think about it. Now, listen to what he says in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. He says, God let me down, so I give up. <laughs> no. Hold on. Is, is he where he wanted to be? Is his past what he wanted it to be? Did everything work out according to plan where he could go to Rome and be successful in his evangelism? No. Here's what he says in verse 12. But I would, ye should understand. He knows, by the way, the Philippians are very, very relationally close to him. They're very burdened for his situation. He's helping them see it differently too. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. <laughs> Paul didn't want to go as a prisoner. And not only did he not want to go as a prisoner, when he got there, he didn't want a bunch of other misguided evangelists with bad motives to try to reap his ministry fruit, although that is what happened, we find out in a different part of the chapter. You know, when Paul looks at his circumstance, he doesn't say, man, why didn't God do this like I wanted him to do? Paul's able to change how he thought about what happened. And when he did that, he was able to notice things. He said, man, I, I'm noticing, I, I just want you Philippians to know, I know you're worried about me, I know you're concerned about me, I know Epaphroditus has said how upset you are, but I want you to know, I've seen other people more confident in their sharing of the gospel because they've seen how I have endured suffering. Paul was able to reframe what happened to him. He couldn't change or control what happened but he could control how he saw it. Instead of giving up, he reframed it by looking for God's goodness in the situation. 
So, so how can cognitive biases affect how we see our past? What would this reframing look like for us? Well, uh, let's go through a, a couple of examples. It's possible that, that you were abused as a child, which is not justifiable at all, morally. But as much as you regret and as much pain as it brings and as much trauma that, that you still have to deal with, the fact is that it happened. It happened. Now, this could lead you, you could look at your past and the fact that you were abused and lived in a, a bad situation, you could think, okay, because this is what I grew up in, because this is just where my life started, then I don't deserve good relationships. I, I don't deserve to be around competent, responsible people. I don't deserve to be with a mate who is responsible and competent. I don't deserve to have friends who are, who are responsible people that help take care of me. And you could feel like, because you see yourself only as an abused person, that you only deserve to be around destructive people. So you get into self-destructive relationships. You avoid people who are successful and who could help you because you feel like you don't deserve them. You've only seen your past in light of what has happened to you. What would reframing for you look like? Well, again, it doesn't mean changing your past. You can't change the fact that you're abused. Now, I'm not making light of that, by the way, by any stretch. But here's what it does mean. You can, you can just say, you know what? This idea that I've had that I should live a self-destructive life, that I should be around bad people because of what's happened to me, you know, that's, just, that's just wrong. God loves me. I'm, I'm made in his image. If I know Christ, then I, I belong to his family. So I need to get around people that will help me. I need to develop habits that will be good, that will be good for me, that will be good for my kids. You can reframe it. You, you can't control what happened, but you can control how you think about it. Here's another example. Uh, it, it's possible that in your upbringing, maybe you weren't abused, but that you were, you were made to feel insecure because of how your parents talked about you. Um, uh, my wife and I, one of our, one of our really good friends, uh, was convinced by her parents that she could never go to college. And college isn't for everyone, by the way. But she was just convinced that she wasn't smart enough to go to college. Eventually, uh, much later in life, she did. She became an RN. She's doing really, really well. But she had to get over that because she was told so many times she couldn't do it. She had to reframe. She had to reframe. Here's, a, here's the third example. Uh, when you were young... Uh, people made fun, maybe your friends or your, well, friends, maybe peers or bullies made fun of your image. It could have been your looks. It could have been your, your weight. And you thought, well, I, I, I can just never become the kind of person who takes care of myself. I'll, I'll never be healthy. I'll never eat things that make me feel good about myself. I'll always struggle with my weight. I'll always struggle with my image. You can't change how you were bullied, but you can change how you think about what's happened to you. Here's another example. You could be terrified of sharing the gospel. You never witness. You never bring it up with your friends. You never bring it up with your coworkers. And that goes back to a long, long time ago when you were trying to witness to somebody and they made you feel stupid by asking you a question you couldn't answer. So you've just decided, man, I'm too afraid. 
I'm too weak. I'm too timid. I don't have what it takes to do this. You're looking back at your past and you're saying, this is the kind of person that I am. And so now you always, always shy away from opportunities to talk about Jesus because of something that happened a long time ago. Here's a way, here's a way that may help you refrain that. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. Paul is talking about how he evangelized Corinth. Here's what Paul said. I was with you. He talks about, he's talking about in the context, by the way, why he focused on the message of the cross. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. In other words, Paul's saying, I, I was... I was doing, I, I felt so terrible. <laughs> I felt so inept and incompetent as an evangelist when I was with you in Corinth that it just demonstrated how powerful the Holy Spirit was when you guys responded to my preaching by believing the gospel. It wasn't anything in me. I was feeling weak. I was feeling afraid. I was feeling timid. Then he says this. See, this was God's purpose in it, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That was his big takeaway from it. When Paul struggled with evangelism, his takeaway wasn't, well, this is just not something I can do. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? No. He said, well, you know what, God, when, if people believe, if people respond to this positively, if people trust in Jesus with witnessing efforts as bad as mine, it just shows how powerful the message is. It just demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we reframe what's happened in our yesterdays, it changes our todays. When we, not, not change our past, but when we change how we look at our past, it changes how we live today. We're able to experience life without the bad lenses, without the defective prescription. But just as we can reframe our past, we can also preframe our future. That, this means choosing how I will view something before it happens. Choosing how I will view something before it happens. You know, how you think about things now will determine how you act later. Here's, here's a, one example of what this could look like. You could be a very cynical person in the morning. A lot of people are. So, so you get up and you think, man, life is pointless. There's no purpose in what's going to happen today. Everything is chaos. Everything is random. All these things that, that happened to me, I know they're going to happen again today. People are going to betray me. People are going to hurt me. And there's no reason for it at all. Only bad things ever happen to me. Life is senseless. How do we pre-frame that? How do we get started in our day? If we're having, if we're having trouble with that cynicism, how do, we, how do we get started with our day thinking about that differently? So we're not so weighted down by those negative thoughts. Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Paul doesn't say only good things happen to you, by the way. Hey, I'm not telling you to get up in the morning and tell yourself, man, today is going to be wonderful and awesome and nothing bad will happen to me and I declare nothing bad will touch me. Well, don't do that. You could get disappointed, but here's what I am saying. We, we could face our day like this. If, if, you, are fallen, if, if you have this, uh, this cynical perspective, start your day like this. 
Some good things will happen to me today, so I need to be on alert for the blessings of God. I need to be looking out for different rays of God's goodness so I can thank him when those come. But also, some bad things are going to happen to me today. I'm not saying give yourself a pep talk and pretend everything's going to be peachy. It won't be. No, guess what? Some bad things are going to happen to me throughout this day as I go to work, as I deal with other people, as I try to manage others' expectations. But I know that God is going to bring all of these things together, both good and bad, to work his purposes in my life. That's pre-framing. That's deciding beforehand how you're going to react to the things that you cannot anticipate happening. Here's another example. You feel defeated by sin. So you know temptations are going to come tomorrow. And I don't know what your trigger is for sin. Frustration with other people, anxiety, worry, stress. But you know these these triggers are going to come. These temptations are going to come. And I know, I just know that I'm going to fall. I can't fight sin. I can't do war against this. I will lose to temptation today, I am hopeless. We need to be honest about our temptation, but we should not be defeatist about it. You say, well, shouldn't, shouldn't we take our fallen nature seriously? Well, yeah, but we also should take seriously the promises of God. Amen. The God who tells us to pray, deliver us from evil in the model prayer. Do you think he would tell us to pray that if he had no intention of doing it? Of course not. So Paul says in Romans 7, After going through this, I want to do the good, but I can't. I don't want to do the evil, but I do. Paul ends with this in Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, verse 24 and 25. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Jesus is going to help me. Jesus is going to provide deliverance. He's not going to leave me stuck in temptation. There's another example, and it could be just that your, your busyness kind of takes over. This is why some of you have trouble sleeping, because of the, you know the list of stuff you have to do tomorrow, right? This is why some of you are checking your, the time right now, because you've got to get home, you've got to get to bed. That, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm preaching long. I just said that because it's, it's possible. You have an overwhelming amount of tasks. You have these expectations that other, has, uh, that other people have of you, and you don't know how you're going to meet them, and you think to yourself, I just know tomorrow I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be overwhelmed, I won't get everything done, I'll fail. You're overwhelmed, and then you choose ahead of time that you're going to wallow in self-pity. See, some of you have already made that decision for Thursday. Thursday, by, th- by 4 o'clock, you're going to be wallowing in self-pity. You've already made that decision tonight. How could you pre-frame that differently? Instead of complaining about how hard it will be, tell yourself this. Tomorrow I get to experience God's strength. God's given me a space, whether if I'm a student in in school or I'm in the workforce or I'm at the workforce at home, which is its own workforce, I'm going to be with with sinners all day. All of us are. And he's given me an opportunity through that vocation, whatever he's called you to do, he's given me an opportunity to love my neighbor. And you know what? I'm going to get done as many things as I possibly can and thank him for the help that he's giving me. 
Here's another example. You could be cynical about making friends at church. Maybe you don't feel connected at church. You don't think you have any uh, close relationships. Maybe you're going to stay and just be kind of checked out. Or maybe you've decided that at some point, when the time is right, you're just going to leave because after all, no one likes you here. Or that's what you're telling yourself. So you're already thinking about Sunday morning. And you've already decided this in in your mind. You're going to come Sunday morning. No one will notice you. No one will stop you and talk to you. No one will buy you a drink at the cafe, as if, as if people are supposed to do that, right? No one's going to have a good conversation with you. No one is going to listen to you. You know what will happen? If you, if you come to Fellowship Sunday morning, now this is an incredibly friendly church, by the way. But if you come to Fellowship Sunday morning thinking you're not going to have a connection or feel a connection with anyone, you know what's going to happen? You're going to come, show up, go home, and you're not going to feel a connection to anyone (laughs) because that's precisely what you've already decided you're going to look for. You've already made the decision in your mind. You walk through the doors at, at, at 9.45 or 10.45 and you think, man, no one's connected to me here. You're going to feel very disconnected by the end of the service because of what you've already, how you've already framed what you were going to experience on Sunday. Can you pre-frame that a little bit differently? Why don't you pre-frame it like this? It's Sunday morning, I'm going I'm to find someone who looks a little down, and I'm going to give them an encouraging word, just one person. You know what will happen? You will find one person that's looking down, and you'll have an opportunity to give them an encouraging word, if you want to. You'll have a chance. Why don't you come Sunday morning thinking, You know, I I need this church. I need the community around me of God's people. I need a transparent community where I can share the struggles and the sorrows in my life. You know what? You're going to find someone who will listen to you. If that's the mindset you have coming in the doors. You know, if if you come and you think to yourself, today I'm going to listen to someone's story. I'm going to find someone that I, don't, that I don't know that well, that we've never really had a good conversation. I'm going to take some time to listen to their story and by doing so, take them into my heart. You know what will happen? Someone will end up talking to you, probably for a long time. That's not just a personality thing. I, I, I wonder if really if there are any introverts at the end of the day. Everyone opens up eventually. You just have to want them to. So you can't control what happens to your tomorrow. You have no control over that. Any more than you can control what's happened to your past. But you control how you frame the outcome even before it happens. We all have lenses. We all have a perspective. The question is, do they match reality or are they constructions we have made? Do we have a godly perspective or an ungodly perspective? Vultures. Vultures uh, soar high in the sky and they search. They look for things. Do you know what vultures look for? They look for dead things. They look for roadkill. They can smell a dead animal from a mile away and sometimes they will fly between 30 and 50 miles to find their next meal. And you know what vultures always seem to find? What they're looking for. 
dead things. Hummingbirds are different. This is a much more pleasant picture. Hummingbirds are different. Their wings flap, their, their wings flap 20 beats a second. They're not looking for dead things. They're looking for nectar. And, you know, sometimes where they have to find it is in small places, but they, they look and they look, and you know what? They find it. Why do vultures always find dead things and hummingbirds always find nectar? The same reason that you find what you find. Because you always find what you're looking for. We cannot control what happens to us. But if we have a godly perspective, we can control how we think about what happens to us. We reframe the past by remembering the goodness of God. And we preframe our future by remembering the promises of God. What is it that God is calling you to think differently about tonight? Let's all, let's all stand. Here's 